Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid. I have Brother Christopher assisting me today. We are the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Salt of the Earth, brothers and sisters, the salt of the earth. When we examine the Bible, brothers and sisters, the Bible is not a religious text. It is, in fact, a historical text, brothers and sisters, a historical text of the people. Those people would be the Israelites, brothers and sisters. The entire Bible is based or centered around these particular people. All prophecy in the Bible are built around these particular people. Who are these people? These are your Negroes. These are your natives. These are your Hispanics. These are your Samoans. These are your Vietnamese, right? These are your Cambodians. These are the poor of these areas, brothers and sisters. Today's lesson will be aimed to them. Let's go first. This is also aimed to Gentiles. There's enough transferable truth here, but it'll first be for Israelites. Let's go to Jeremiah, the 30th chapter, the 7th and the 8th verse. Jeremiah 30 and 7. Alas. For that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. Brothers and sisters, note that this day that the Lord speaks of is to be great. Okay? It's so great that there's none like it. Read. But he shall be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Brothers and sisters, the liberation of God's people from all foreign oppressors is what verse 8 is illustrating. Okay, the text shows our deliverance from foreign subjugation. Let's read those two scriptures again, because Satan's wrath will be directed towards the ethnic descendants of the children of Israel. Jeremiah 30 and 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it, for it shall be... <clears throat> For it shall come to pass in that day. In that the, day. Saith the Lord of hosts. Saith the Most High. The Lord of hosts. That I will break his yoke from off thy neck. And will burst thy bonds. And what will happen? And strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Who is Jacob? Jacob is Israel. Who is Israel? The 12 tribes, brothers and sisters. The Negroes, the natives, Hispanics. So according to the text. Somebody is exploiting us, brothers and sisters. They shall no more serve themselves. That means somebody is serving themselves of us, brothers and sisters, according to God, according to Jeremiah. We're going to talk about that today. Let's go to Jeremiah 50, brother. The 50th chapter, the 33rd verse. What's that saying? Jeremiah 50 and 33. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together 
and all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. Read that again, brother. Verse 33. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Most High. The children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. And all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. Here we read the current state of affairs concerning our people. Brothers and sisters, the Most High shows himself sensible of the oppression we constantly adore. Read that one more time, please, brother. Jeremiah 50 and 33. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together. That's the Negroes, Natives, and Hispanics. They're all tribes. And all that took them captives held them fast. All that took them captives implies that there's more than one. That, mean, that implies there's more than two, brothers and sisters. All that took them captives did what? All that took them captives held them fast. And? They refused to let them go. What did they do, brother? They refused to let them go. The refusal to relinquish the yoke, brothers and sisters, points to the perpetual state of oppression. So it would be economically irresponsible for our conquerors to surrender their dominion. Brothers and sisters, he anticipates a Gentile objection to the liberation of our people. Read the next scripture, brother, please. Verse 34. The Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. Brothers and sisters, freedom will come at a steep price because of their fervent refusal to relinquish us. So it's clear that the Bible is telling you all the people that have taken us captive have refused to let us go. Starting with who? Pharaoh, brothers and sisters, who refused to let us go. So guess what? He is no different from the rest. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Genesis, the 30th chapter, the 25th through the 27th verse. Why? Because the text, the prior text said they refused to let us go. So one thing that we know is they refuse to relinquish, right? Possession. The answer, the question is now, why? Why do they refuse to relinquish us, brothers and sisters? The answer is found in the Bible. Let's go there. Genesis, the 30th chapter, the 25th verse through the 27th. Let's go there. Genesis 30 and 25. And it came to pass, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto mine own place, and to, and to my country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Now, brothers and sisters, I need you to examine this because this is our forefather, right? Dealing with who? Dealing with, dealing with Laban, who is his father-in-law, right? So here we have... Despite them being related, you'll find that Laban took advantage of Jacob multiple times. Who was Jacob? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. 
brothers and sisters. So let, here we are. Read 25 one more time, brother, please. Verse 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go unto my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee, and let me go. For thou knowest my service, which I have done thee. You know my service, which I have done unto thee. So he's telling you, listen, I served for thee, for this family. All right. Verse 27. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Look at this, brothers and sisters. According to the text, we can see that Laban recognized God's hand at work. What did he say, brother? Read it again. Verse 27. What's that say? And Laban said unto him. He said unto him. I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes. Do what? Tarry. Stay here. Tarry. For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. The Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. So Laban recognized God's blessings in the material success he experienced by having Jacob work for him, brothers and sisters. And this is what you'll find. Any people that were found in possession of our people, brothers and sisters, always were blessed because of our God. And they know that. They know that. Even Pharaoh knew that, brothers and sisters. <laughs> that when we were there, they were blessed exponentially. No matter where we are. No matter where we are, brothers and sisters. So here we are. I want you to look at this word experience. It says, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Look at this word experience, brothers and sisters. It's the Hebrew number 5172. And it tells you that word is divination. So he said, I learned by divination, <laughs> okay, that I've been blessed by your God. So look at that. So the divination is real. Even the demons know, brothers and sisters. So we're not saying that the necromancy doesn't work. The, the zodiac signs and all that garbage, it works, but it's demonic. Brothers and sisters, we are to stay away from it, brothers and sisters. Not to say it doesn't work, okay? So we wanted to show you. Let's go back now because the question was, why do they refuse? Why? Why are they so interested in us? Why? Let's read it again. Genesis 30 and 25. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go unto my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee. And let me go for thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry. For I have learned by experience. I have learned by experience. That the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. See that brothers and sisters? See, so Laban is proposing that he and Jacob strike a new deal now that Jacob has fulfilled his terms of the old one. Why? It was strictly based on the material blessings that he received while Jacob worked for him for those years, for those 14 years, brothers and sisters. 
See this? So our people don't even know, you know, what comes with our service. Okay. When Egypt, when we were in Egypt, Egypt became, it was the greatest empire. When we left Egypt, it became a desert. When we, before we came to America, it was a no man's land. Once we got to America, it became the greatest land, brothers and sisters. And once we gone, guess what? It's going to be a desert, brothers and sisters. See that? So we wanted to point that out. Let's go to Genesis 31, brothers and sisters. Let's go there because we want to find out, according to the Bible, why it is. Why? Why is it that they refuse to relinquish? What is it about us, brothers and sisters, that we don't know, that they know? What is it? Let's go to Genesis 31 and 7. Further proof, brothers and sisters. Genesis 31 and 7. And your father had deceived me and changed my wages. Why do we go here? Because we wanted to show you that the father Laban, even though he was a, a family member of Jacob, right? He deceived him and? And changed my wages ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. Continue. If he said thus, the speckle shall be, the speckle shall be thy wages. Read, read seven one more time, brother. Because here it was. This is why he was asking to be relinquished. Read that again. Genesis 31 and 7. And your father had deceived me. Look at all that he's done just to keep him there, brothers and sisters. He's deceived him. And change my wages. He's changed times. his wages ten times just to keep him there. But God suffered him not to hurt me. See that? Jump to verse 14 and 15, brother. Genesis 31 and 14. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also our so, money. So look at this. The, the, even his daughters are saying we, we are nothing to him. We're counted as strangers. He sold us, you know, for money and then taken everything that we've had. So look at this, brothers and sisters. So this is the type of man that he was dealing with. And why did we put this out there? Because some people will say, well, Jacob tried to be, you know, Jacob tried to, you know, do something under the cloud of darkness with the cattle. No, he did what the Mosai said do. You see that? Because you reap what you sow, especially during this time in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. See, that was the principle. Let's go to Genesis 39. Why are we in Genesis? We're in Genesis because the answer for why they refuse to relinquish us is in the first book of the Bible. That's why. That's why, brothers and sisters. It's there. It is there. Let's go there. Let's go to Genesis 39, brothers and sisters. Because this is the answer why. Genesis 39 and 1 through 5. Now this is during the time of Joseph, brothers and sisters, once he was sold into slavery by his brethren. Genesis 39 and 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. 
And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Read that again, brother. Verse 2, please. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the master did what? The master saw that the Lord was with him. Read. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Look at that. Potiphar, Joseph's master, soon sees that Joseph is successful in all that he does. So the text reveals that he knows he's prospering because of the Lord's blessings of Joseph. So they're not ignorant, brothers and sisters. They play dumb, but they're not. Trust. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 3. Verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. Read. Verse 4. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. See that? According to the text, Potiphar promotes Joseph to the head manager of his household. Why? Because he saw the success that came with having us there, brothers and sisters. Just through having us in service, our God was blessing that whole house, brothers and sisters. You see that? The implication is that God increased Potiphar's wealth in every area where Joseph was responsible. Brothers and sisters, read three one more time, please, brother. Three again. Genesis 39 and 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. Read. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. For whose sake? For Joseph's sake. For whose sake? Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. See that? In the house and in the field. So Potiphar knew that the God of Joseph had improved the quality of his life in every way. You see that? So don't tell me that they're not racist because they hired you. Okay? <laughs> you are a commodity. Even if you're making millions of dollars, you are labor as a football player, basketball player, and you are a commodity that can be traded, that can be cut, that can be released. That's who you are. You are a high-paid slave. So it's clear, brothers and sisters. It's clear. Don't think because they employ you, <laughs> they respect you. No, they know the power of your God. That's what they know. See? Let's go to Romans 11, brother. Let's go to the New Testament. Romans, the 11th chapter, the 11th verse. The title of today's lesson, The Salt of the Earth. We're going to read verse 11 and 12, the 11th chapter in the book of Romans. Romans 11 and 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. Now, Paul presents it here that there's a difference 
between stumbling and falling. Let's take a look. But, <clears throat> but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Read. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world. Read that again. If the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. The temporary fall of Israel was fraught with the richest blessings for the rest of the world. Brothers and sisters, read 12 one more time, please, because this verse sets forth two systems of blessings for two different groups, Jews and Gentiles. Read that again, please. Verse 12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, if the fall of our people be the riches of the world, you see why they're trying to keep you out of this book? Continue. And the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. Look at that. According to the author, the diminishing of Israel was the aggrandizement of the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, Paul has shown that God is still working through a remnant of Israel together. Excuse me, today, because he said, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. That means no. That means we're not going to stay down. So Israel's failure did what? Brought riches to all the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters. See that? See? So it would be economically irresponsible for them to teach us to follow God's laws. See? So if you're looking from the truth on a mass level from the white man or from any other people but your own, it's not going to happen. Because that's not good business. They're benefiting monetarily, spiritually, off of our diminishment, brothers and sisters. It's clear. Read that one more time, brother, from the top, please. Romans 11 and 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. Why? To provoke them to jealousy. To provoke them to jealousy. Why? Because our people, when they see what the white people have, they know that we should have that. And that provo that provokes something. So the truth only went to these people to provoke us to come back to God. Because he's telling you, listen, if you want what the white man have, come follow my rules. And I'll give you more than the white man has. See that? We're fighting ourselves here, brothers and sisters. We're not fighting the white man. The white man don't have no power. He's weak. According to the Bible, read it one more time, brother. Because how did they get the riches of the world? Verse, thir uh, verse 12. Romans 11 and 12. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more they're famous. How much more for us? If they got rich by our fall and we're the people, how much more richness do we get if we come back? See that? That's the New Testament. This is why they don't want you in this book. Because according to that, if you knew that they get rich off your sin, they've found a way to monetize your sin. They found a way to exploit you doing the wrong thing. 
to stay in rulership over us. That's great business. I'm not even mad, brothers and sisters. I'm not mad at the white man because that's good business for people who don't serve God. You get rulership any way that you can when you're not serving God, and, and that's how they got it, brothers and sisters. That's how they got it. Brothers and sisters, follow us to Jeremiah, the 50th chapter. We're going to have Brother Christopher read the 7th verse. Jeremiah 50 and 7. What's that say, brother? All that found them have devoured them. Now, the question is why? We just read why in Romans 11, brothers and sisters, because the fall of our people was the riches of the world. See, now you understand the venom, the vitriol, because if we go up, they go down. And they understand that. So for self-preservation purposes, they're not going to allow us up, brothers and sisters. They're going to have to be forced by our God. See, the marching is over. We ain't marching no more. Okay? Read that, brother. Verse 7, please. Jeremiah 50 and 7. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversary said, we offend not. Because they have sinned against the Lord. Look at that, brothers and sisters. We offend not. Why? Because they have sinned against the Lord. All the heathens declare that we deserved extreme punishment. Why again, brother? Because they have sinned against the Lord. So they know the rules of engagement. The habitation of justice. They're saying, listen, they're saying God is a just God. So God is going to allow us to whoop they behind. See that? This is how they play. This is how they play, brothers and sisters. Read. The habitation of justice, even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. See that? Jump to verse 6, brother, please. Because who is culpable for this? Verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. He said the leadership. Number one, a shepherd was always male. Let's put that there. Okay, the shepherds were who? The leaders, the teachers, the spiritual, you know, teachers that were to protect. So he throws blame on the shepherds by whom he says we have been led astray. According to the text, the pastors, the preachers have culpability in our current condition, brothers and sisters. Continue, please. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, We offend not, because they have sinned against the Lord. See, so our adversaries claim justification as instruments of our God's judgment, brothers and sisters. We offend not, because they have sinned against the Lord. Continue. The habitation of justice. Even the Lord, the hope of their fathers. See, so non-compliance warrants Israel being maltreated with impunity. That's what this says. In their mindset, brothers and sisters, but guess what? They've gone too far. Yes, God gave them rule over us, but they've gone too far. See, so in many cases, the Most High withdraws protection so that we may experience the consequences of our sin. Brothers and sisters, the text reveals that the Gentiles have full comprehension of the rules of engagement. See? In the absence of God's protective hand, our sin emboldens our enemies. 
brothers and sisters. It was clear that the Gentiles were fully aware of these rules of engagement. Having found them implies that they searched for us. Let us read that again. Verse 7. Jeremiah 50 and 7. All that found them have devoured them. All that found them implies they searched for us. See? They knew they could exploit us, brothers and sisters, as long as they found us. Now you understand what missionaries are about. <laughs> See? Now you understand what missionaries going into Africa are about. Missionaries going into the Philippines. Missionaries going into Vietnam. Do you think they were really bringing Jesus or were they looking for these people that they were going to destroy? See? This was how they got onto the lands. Because why? These other land, what the white man was known for murder, for bloodshed during the time of the Romans, during the time of the Greeks. So when you saw Romans or Greeks come onto your land, automatically it was alarming for these people. So the way they came was they peddled Jesus. This is how they were able to allow people to, you know, have them on their land. See, this is how they do it. And what do they do today? They send these, their pawns, their cronies, these kids, Elder Bob, Elder John, send them right into the ghetto. What are they looking for? They're looking for who's there and how much you know. Because guess what? Everything that you say is being reported back. And a lot of times they're documenting who lives where. If you open up that door and you talk to them, brothers and sisters, you will never find them in the white neighborhoods. They're not looking for them. They're already pagans. That's why they're not in the white neighborhood. They're looking for God's people. Brothers and sisters. They've done it time and time again. Okay? If you read history from Babylon to Timbuktu by Rudolf R. Windsor, the white man didn't, he didn't, he didn't just search us out, brothers and sisters. He worked together. With the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, who found us, and they worked together to subjugate us. So the Arabs found us, and then they let the white man know who was our big brother. And he came to Western Africa once he knew where we were at. See? Let's go to Ecclesiastes, brother. Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 10 and 7. Let's see what this has to say. Ecclesiastes 10 and 7. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Brothers and sisters, here's a picture of society that has been turned upside down. It's the undeserving who are promoted while the more qualified are dismissed. Can you read that again, brother? Verse 7, I have seen servants upon horses. I've seen servants on horses. And princes walking as servants upon the earth. So princes, these are men fit to rule a kingdom. And they've been forced to walk as servants upon the earth. You see that? Princes mean what? They're sons of the king. See? Read that one more time, brother. Because this is an identifying, this is a mark. Of, uh, this is a line of demarcation. Ecclesiastes 10 and 7. 
I have seen servants upon horses. Who are upon horses? Servants upon horses. Unqualified and inexperienced candidates are elevated to positions they are unprepared for. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. See, so what is presented here beyond an exchange of roles is also an exchange of glory. Brothers and sisters, because why? Slaves don't mount horses. Brothers and sisters. This was reserved for royalty only. So this was not only role reversal, it was glory reversal. See? Let's go to Psalms. Let's go to Psalms 2, brethren. Let's go, let's go there. The title of today's lesson is The Salt of the Earth. We're going to Psalms, the second chapter, the second and third verse. Please follow us there. Psalms 2 and 2. What's that saying, brother? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Look at this. According to the psalmist, there's a worldwide conspiracy to keep Israel under subjugation. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. They do what? take counsel together look at this the bible reveals that there's a global conspiracy against us brothers and sisters the rulers take counsel together against the lord against who against the lord see so it's really against our god first see they only hate us because of our god read and against his anointing continue let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from we're, us. We're reading the words of the confederacy of Gentile nations, brothers and sisters. When it says, let us break their bands, bands refers to the restraints imposed by our authority, brothers and sisters. So according to the text, the heathen are in opposition of the Most High and his administration. Read that one more time, brother, please. Psalms 2 and 3, let us break their bands asunder. And cast away their cords from us. See, so they want to be free of the restraints of the Most High and His Chosen. Why? Because during this time, brothers and sisters, when they started dealing with child sacrifice and all this stuff, the Most High would send us over there to beat them like a drum. We would light them up like a Christmas tree, brothers and sisters. And guess what? They never forgot it because they still have the history. So every time they get a chance to do the same, they will. You're the only person who lost the history. We, we're the only people who lost the history, brothers and sisters. They still have it intact. They still have it intact. It's clear. Read that again, brother. Verse 2. Psalms 2 and 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Read. Let us break their bands asunder. And cast away their cords see, from us. See, so they, these are the words of the confederate heathen powers. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So their goal is to eliminate the restrictions and authority of God and his ambassadors. Because why? God uses his ambassadors for his work. So it's clear that the Bible is telling us, especially when it comes to Jews, black men, 
they were the only resistance to paganism. Okay? And they already knew that. So they would look to corrupt black men through hip-hop music, etc., etc., to compromise us. Why? Because they knew that they could always push their degradation. And the only resistance would come from black men who were Jews. See? And since there's no pushback from black men on vaccinations and homosexuality, etc., etc., these things have advanced. And they knew this. They knew that they could push any type of degradation. The only resistance would, if there is any resistance, it would only come from black men. It would only come there. See? And they knew that. So it says the kings of the earth set themselves. That means it's not just the white man. See? Because why? Each nation can only have one king. (laughs) So this is telling you, these are multiple kings from multiple nations. Nation is nationality in the Bible, brothers and sisters. It's not country. So it's telling you the kings of the earth. These are different nationalities of people. See? Democracy will be a thing of the past. Freedom, freedom, that doesn't exist under Christ's kingdom. You're going to do what you're told. Are you going to, you're not going to, if you have interest in living, you'll do what you're told. Okay. Let's go to first Corinthians, brother. Let's go to first Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'm going to have brother Christopher read the second and the third verse. 1 Corinthians 6 and 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Read that again, because here we read a a power-packed passage, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time. Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Look at this. We're perceived as the enemy for the reason that is revealed in this passage. Read that again, brother, please. First Corinthians 6 and 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? See that? So Paul prophetically reveals that the future judges of the world are our people. And because of that, we're the enemy. See? Continue. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Continue. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? So look at that. Not only will we judge the world, but the angels. So, brothers and sisters, when you examine verse 2 and 2, excuse me, and 2, it is here that he relates our interactions with each other to our ability to judge the world. Do you see that? Read that one more time, brother, because as illustrated in this particular text, our interactions with each other contribute to our ability to judge the world. 1 Corinthians 6 and 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Look at this. The text implies that we should judge, be able to judge even the tiniest tribunals. If we're going to judge the world, if we're going to judge angels, brothers and sisters, he's telling you we should be able to work things out amongst ourselves. So Paul asks if it's an issue of competence or ability, brothers and sisters. See? Even during this time, we had an inability to resolve disputes. It was clear. It was clear, brothers and sisters. 
Brother Christopher, read verse 2 again, please. 1 Corinthians 6 and 2. 1 Corinthians 6 and 2. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to Christians here? No, he's talking to Israelites, brothers and sisters. The world is not going to be judged by Christians. <laughs> See, this is the garbage. This is the theological garbage that they're teaching in these churches. That the world is going to be judged by Christians of all races. What type of what type of madness is that? No. There's one race of people that rule at all times. There was a during the time of Egypt, they were ruling. Those were black people. During the time of Babylon, those were people of color. They they're people of Persia. Excuse me. Uh Babylon is is Iraq. Then you had the Persians, the people of color. That's Iran. Oh, then you had the Greeks. Then you had the Rome. So these were all races of people. These weren't countries that were ruling, okay? During this time, all people only lived amongst themselves. So you can say it was countries, but only Persians lived in Persia, okay? It wasn't like it is today. We got all these different people living amongst each other. That doesn't happen anywhere but in European countries. And that's why the race relations are the way they are, because we're not supposed to be amongst each other like that, brothers and sisters, okay? I'm all for segregation, <laughs> okay? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's nothing wrong with that, because why? White people like country music, <laughs> okay? And, and less salt and no hot sauce, and that's fine. And that's good. An Asian woman want to hear Asian music, and that's fine. That's why the Bible was making it clear. We needed to stay with Israelites. <laughs> okay. Now, listen, there was brothers or sisters who dealt outside of their tribe because Christ's father was a Jew. His mother was a Levite. Okay. Joseph was a Jew. Mary was a Levite. So they weren't in the same tribe. We're not saying it has to be, you know, has to be the same tribe. But here it was, brothers and sisters. This is why it would be hard for uh, interracial relationship. Because here it was. One of them is judging the earth. The other one's being judged. <laughs> you see this, brothers and sisters? Now, are we against interracial marriages and all that? Absolutely not, brothers and sisters. If you've come into the truth and you've already made that decision, then we, we don't have the right we don't have the cachet to try to come in between something that God already you've already made the commitment. So it doesn't matter what we think. Now, if you know the truth and you know you're an Israelite and go that route, that's something else entirely. That's something else entirely because that means you know better. You know better. And you're deciding to go out to another race, understanding what the issue is going to be eventually. There's going to be cultural clashes. The reason black people don't think about cultural clashes because they ain't got no culture. See? But the Koreans, guess what? They got a culture. And, you know, you may be there for a few months, but you ain't going home to the parents. Jewish people only marry Jewish people. That's how it is. In most other races. It's only us because they have culture to protect. It's only us. See, 
Open your eyes, brothers and sisters. Look at the television. Look at the commercials. Every single commercial has interracial. Black and white. Black and white. Black and white. Why? Because they know. It warps your perception now. It warps your perception. Why? Because you're laying next to somebody. <laughs> See? See? Now you don't even want to be. You don't even want to acknowledge who you are now. This is all part of their ploy, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Jude, because why? Read, read three first, brother, and then let's go to Jude. First Corinthians 6 and 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life. Hold on. We shall judge angels? Hold on. Why would we be judging angels? Christians? See, they don't tell you anything about this, brothers and sisters. They cherry pick scriptures out of context. Why are we judging angels? Brothers and sisters, let's go to Jude, the first chapter, the 14th verse. There's only one chapter, so. <laughs> the 14th and the 15th verse. Why are we judging angels? Jude 1 and 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Brothers and sisters, I really, I really need you to examine this, okay? Because examine the entourage, <laughs> okay? Examine the entourage, because herein lies the issue. Read that again, brother. Jude 1 and 14. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam did what prophesied of these. What did he prophesy? Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Ten thousand of his what? Ten thousands of his saints. Who is the entourage? His saints. Okay. What is he coming with the saints to do, my brother? Verse 15. To execute judgment upon all. Upon who? Upon all. No, upon some. Upon all. No, upon the white man. All. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done ungodly committed. And all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Not only will this future judgment be personal by the Lord, it says to execute judgment upon all by the Lord. It'll be universal, brothers and sisters. So Peter links ungodliness with Judgment given two historical examples and one that's yet future. Let's read that again, brother, please. Jude 1 and 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Now, brothers and sisters, the identity of this traveling caravan is the reason for such indignation. He's coming with 10,000 of his saints. These are not Roman Catholic, St. Peter and St. Paul. Who are the saints? Let's go to Psalms 50, brothers and sisters. Who are saints according to God? Not according to, uh, to, to the Pope. Psalms 50 and 5. Who are the saints, brother Christopher? Psalms, the 50th chapter, the 5th verse. 
Psalms 50 and 5. Gather my saints together unto me. Those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Who are they? Those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Who are my saints? Those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. According to the text, relationship with God was based on sacrifice and still is. See that? You make a covenant with him by sacrifice. So covenant relationship requires a sacrifice, brothers and sisters. No sacrifice, no covenant. No covenant, no relationship with God. Guess what? We were the people who had the covenant of sacrifice, of animals. That was us. See, everyone didn't do that. Greeks didn't do that. Okay? <laughs> Greeks didn't put blood on the door, on the doorpost. Babylonians didn't do that. See? Koreans didn't do that. That was us, brothers and sisters. We had the law of sacrifice of animals. What animals? Turtle dove. Unblemished lamb. No other people had that. So the saints are those people, which are Israelites. There is no saint that is not an Israelite. Okay? So get this garbage out of your head, brothers and sisters. This kumbaya, you know... Everybody's equal garbage. Never has there been a time in history where there was equality. That doesn't exist. There's those who rule and those who are in subjugation. We are in subjugation right now. We're not looking to be equal with the white man right now. Let's go to Matthew 24, brother. Matthew, the 24th chapter. And I have Brother Christopher read the 30th verse. Matthew 24 and 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Examine the world's response to the return of the Messiah. Brothers and sisters, read that again. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. What shall they do? Mourn. Rather than rejoice, the nations of this earth will mourn at the second coming of Christ. Now it says all the tribes of the earth, not just the white man. And I want to point that out because... Sometimes Israelites get the bad rap as if they're against just the white man. We're not against the white man at all. Okay, we're just showing you what the Bible says. We have white people in our church <laughs> that we baptized. Okay, many of them. Okay, and they acknowledge what the truth is. We're the people, and you know, we treat them with love and respect. But we're going to say the truth. We're not going to tailor our teachings because we got white people in the room or listening to the broadcast. That's not going to happen. So if 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 white people want to be amongst us, which we love to have you. <laughs> OK, but you're going to hear about the plight of our people. Period. And we wanted to point it out there that it's all the tribes of the earth that are going to mourn, not just the white man. It's the Korean man, the Chinese man, the Iran man, the Babylonian man, all of them. Why? Because they all lose their rulership, not just the white man. See? 
when you try to minimize it and diminish it just down to the white man, that's not the true gospel because it's not just the white man. Everybody have their own land. Everybody have their own government except for us. See, when you have your own land, your own government, you do what you want. And that's coming to an end for them. And they know that. See, the danger in democracy is rules can change. Regulations can change if you get enough people to agree. <laughs> See, so if I get enough people to, to say that Let's turn your rectum into an entrance instead of an exit. Then now that becomes law. That's legislation. Why? Because we had enough people to say your rectum now should become an entrance instead of an exit. See, that's democracy. <laughs> that's over. When is it over? Right here, verse 30. Read that again, brother, please. Matthew 24 and 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. All the tribes. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. See, so upon his second coming, liberty and democracy will be a thing of the past, brothers and sisters. Because in a kingdom, you don't do what you want to do. You better go learn... Study a theocracy, okay? <laughs> you don't do what you want to do in a in a kingdom, maybe in a democracy. We're seeing we're seeing that the world will quail in fear, knowing that free will will be exterminated. Scripture records that the predominant emotion upon his arrival will be one of mourning, brothers and sisters. Why Christians are not teaching this? Why are they teaching it as if people are going to be happy to see Christ coming back? <laughs> that, and that's not what the Bible says. Christ isn't coming to skip through the tulips. Excuse me. You know, skip through the meadows with a tulip in his teeth. He's coming for war. Why? Because all that have found his people have devoured them. And have refused to let them go. See, so there is no black leader, black man, or any other man that can lead us out of this case because it's Christ's job to do that. He's the deliverer. He's the savior. And any black man that has ever stood up to try to deliver our people has been assassinated because it's not his job. It's not Malcolm X's job. It's not Martin Luther King's job. It's not the Black Panther's job. It's not Elijah Muhammad's job. It's Christ's job. And he's the only man with broad enough shoulders to carry that weight. Let's go to Matthew 8, brother. We're going to stay in the same book. Matthew 8 and 28, brother. Matthew 8 and 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes. The Gergesenes. Now, remember, brothers and sisters, the Bible said that we shall judge angels, right? So we, we shall judge spirits because angels are spirits, right? Read. There met him two possessed with devils 
coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Continue, brother. And, behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Christ, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Look at that, brothers and sisters. The spirits know that we're going to judge them. You see that? Thus, why they work together with the governments to come against us. You see that? Because it's not just the white man and the Korean. All those other nations will be subjugated under Christ's foot and Christ's people. And so will those demons. And they know that. So what are they doing? They're working together with the, you know, the, 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 the sorcerers of these people to teach them how to mix drugs and how to add potions together and, and all this stuff. See, a lot of this stuff that, you know, they're teaching in schools and all that, it's not coming from the mind of a man. How much rocket fuel does it take to get to the moon from here? How would you know that unless you've been to the moon? You see that, brothers and sisters? So how would they even know how to send things up into space? How do they know the distance that needs to be traveled? How do they know the fuel that's needed? Because that information isn't coming from the mind of a man, brothers and sisters. What was the first thing Pharaoh did after he saw the plague? So after Moses showed him signs of, you know, throwing his, his staff on the ground and turned into a snake. What did he do? What did Pharaoh do? The first thing he did was call emulation, call sorcerers that could emulate the same thing. So that told us what? He had sorcerers right in his cabinet, brothers and sisters, right in his cabinet. Nebuchadnezzar did what? With the dream. He did what, brothers and sisters? Once he had the dream, who did he call? Necromancers, sorcerers, divination. Right there in his cabinet. So that shows you the president or the king always have sorcerers and necromancers right in his cabinet. Right in his cabinet, brothers and sisters. Our people better wake up. We better wake up. This is a spiritual battle, brothers and sisters. These demonic spirits know that judgment is coming and therefore will look to come against us while they have time. They're looking to take as many of us with them as they can. Let's go to Genesis 41, brother, please. Genesis, the 41st chapter, uh, we're going to have Brother Christopher read the first verse just to get the context and then jump to the eighth verse because we want to prove that. Genesis 41 and 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed and behold, he stood by the river. And behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kind and fat flesh, and they fed in a meadow. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. This is talking about the dream he had. Jump to verse 8, brother. Genesis 41 and 8. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. So after he had this dream, his spirit was troubled. This was God doing this, sending him this dream, troubling his spirit. 
And he sent and called for all the magicians who of did Egypt. He, who did he call for? All the magicians of Egypt. See that? The necromancers. And? And all the wise men thereof. All the philosophers. See that, brothers and sisters? He had the magicians and philosophers right in his cabinet. They were his first call. Soon as the morning came, he called for magicians and sorcerers. See that? So the Gentiles always had demonic spirits amongst them. Always. Further proof, go to Daniel, brother. Go to Daniel. Because see, these are not white people. In Genesis 41, that wasn't a white man. Pharaoh was not white, okay? So we have to be fair here. We have to be fair. Let's go to Daniel, the second chapter, the first and second verse, brother. Daniel 2 and 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Nebuchadnezzar, this is now another kingdom. See? So these aren't white people either. Nebuchadnezzar is not a white man. See? This is Babylonian, brothers and sisters. Babylon is who? Iraq. Persia is who? Iran. See? Egypt is who? Africa. These are all people of color. And they were dealing with necromancers. So don't think it's just white people dealing with this sorcery. See? Your mind is too small if you think the white man could do this alone. If you think the white man could subjugate us in this fashion by himself without no assistance from any other nations, you need to be drug tested immediately. Because examine the text, brothers and sisters, they had sorcerers there. Why? Because those same demonic spirits are going to be judged by our people. And here we see them working with the Gentiles to come against our people, even in the book of Daniel. Let's go to John, brother, 9 and 5. We're going to show you why. We're going to show you why they always look to work against us. Look at Christ. John 9 and 5. Who is the light of the world, brothers and sisters? Who is the light of the world? Most people don't know. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Most people would say Christ is the light of the world, but Christ said you're wrong. Read that again. Verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Christ told his disciples that he could be the light of the world only as long as he was here on earth. Brothers and sisters. So what transpires subsequent to his departure? He said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So what happens after? Hmm? What happens after, brothers and sisters? Let's go to Matthew 5, brother. Title of today's lesson, The Salt of the Earth. We're going to read Matthew 5 and 14 through 16. Matthew 5 and 14. Ye are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Christ said he's the light of the world as long as he is in the world. What happens after? Who takes over? Read that again. Verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to Gentiles here? Is he talking to Israelites? And see, this is the point, brothers and sisters. See, you can't properly understand the Bible if you don't know who he's talking to. And for you to try to separate God's people from God's book is racist. Okay? You can't use God's book and say, well, you know what? We got use for his book, but not for his people. Can't do it. Cannot do it. Read that one more time, brother, because he's speaking to black, Hispanic, native, Hawaiian, Samoan people here. Read that again, please. Matthew 5 and 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, as the lights of the world, we are intended to illuminate and give light to others okay that's what a light is for it's not for you light is needed because why the world is in darkness that's why he said you're the light of the world read that one more time verse 14 brother please verse 14 ye are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid see so he's telling you i'm gonna elevate you see i'm gonna elevate you to bring attention to your service of me See that, brothers and sisters? A city on a hill can't be hid. So he's saying, I have to set you on a hill. <laughs> See? <laughs> Live visible lives that attract attention to the beauty of the Most High's truth. Brothers and sisters, continue. Verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the it house. It gives light unto the whole house, brothers and sisters. See? Read. Verse 16. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And look at that. Light gives the gift of guidance, so that those who have lost their way can find the path, brothers and sisters. Read that one more time, please, brother, because both... Salt and light have properties which affect things around them. And we're going to talk about that. Matthew 5 and 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Why? That they may see your good works. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven to glorify your father, which is in heaven. That's why, brothers and sisters, see, not to give you glory, see, to give glory to our father, which is in heaven. So it's clear, brothers and sisters, jump to verse 13, please. Matthew 5 and 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. The title of today's lesson, the salt of the earth. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? 
brothers and sisters, to be salted means to deliberately seek to influence the people you come in contact with. To put salt on something changes the dynamics of it, brothers and sisters. It changes the entire dynamics of a of a uh, food, right? Read that from the top, please. Verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, light is a symbol used to mean awareness or knowledge and understanding, okay? A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before me. So look at this. He's saying your salt, your light, you're supposed to stand out. Okay? If you don't stand out, then what are you good for? You're good for nothing. See? You're good for nothing. He's telling you, if you don't give glory to me, if you don't bring glory to me, what are you good for? You're good for nothing. You might as well serve the white man. See? Read. Let your light so shine before men. Before men. That they may see your good works. And do what, brother? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. See that? Let's go to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the 13th verse, brother. Because in the analogy of light to the world, the good works of Christ, his followers, are to shine for all to see, right? So let's see. What's Ephesians 5 and 13? What's... What does Paul have to say here? Ephesians 5 and 13. Now remember, ye are the light of the world. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. In the light, the true nature of a thing is disclosed, brothers and sisters. According to the text, the light illuminates the unfruitful works of darkness. Can you read that again, brother, please? Verse 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Now you're seeing the source of our ridicule because Christ is saying we are the light. And the Bible is telling you that the, that the light reproves, it, it brings what's done in the darkness into sight. So being exposed by light awakens their moral conscience. See that? The, the light that you have it. And you may you may just be doing you, brothers and sisters. But you doing you bothers them. Because it sheds light on their darkness. It shows that you're here and that they're there. See that? We're going to show you that. Because there's a response to that. How do you respond when somebody sheds light on your dirty laundry, huh? How do you shed light? How do you respond when somebody come in your house and pull your dirty laundry out into the laundry and into the living room for all to see? We're going to show you. Let's go to John 3 and 19. We're going to show you how, how you respond to that in preparation and anticipation. John 3 and 19. 
And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. The text teaches that those who commit sin would prefer that their sin stay hidden and not be exposed, brothers and sisters, right? Continue. Verse 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Ye are the light of the world. Right? You see that? Who are the light of the world, brothers and sisters? Who are the lights of the world? Read that again, please, brother. Verse 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be re- lest his deeds should be reproved. Look at that, brothers and sisters. You see that? Most people prefer darkness where there will be no exposure of their sin. See? According to the author, evil can endure for a season in seclusion, but eventually it will be exposed. Read 21, brother, please. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they were that they are wrought in God. So this verse is a contrast to those who live in the domain of darkness. Brothers and sisters, coming to the light is the core issue because it determines where we will spend eternity. Read that one more time, please. John 3 and 21. Because there's there's only two responses that can follow such exposure. Matter of fact, read 19, brother, because there's only two responses. Verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So it's telling you, anybody with evil deeds is going to have issue with us, brothers and sisters. Why? Because we're God's people, and we bring justice. Read. Verse 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. Why? Because they know wickedness can only go undetected in darkness. See that? So because of that, you have to know just just out of spite of who we are, brothers and sisters, which Christ made us or the Most High made us to be a light. Enemies come with that. Enemies come with that naturally, brothers and sisters. So you have to know exactly why you're in war. See, people have no clue why they're under attack because they don't read the Bible. That's why you're under attack. Let's go to Matthew 5 and 13. Let's go back to the book. Uh, let's go back to the gospel. Matthew 5 and 13, brothers and sisters. What's that say? Matthew 5 and 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out. Read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are what? Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are some salt of the earth? The salt of the earth. Ye are the salt. The makes it exclusive. Brothers and sisters, we are the only salt on the earth. There is no other. See? Read. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If it lost its flavor, what's the point of it? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Mm. Here the Messiah talked 
about the tasteless salt being trampled or trodden underfoot. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let's talk about that. Because a lot of us never, we, we looked right past that. The Bible says if you lose your savior, then you'll find yourself under the foot of some men. See? Let's go to Deuteronomy 29 and 23. Let's find out about that. What's the precept to that? Deuteronomy 29 and 23. And that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning that is not sown nor beareth nor any grass goreth therein. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at this, brothers and sisters. It said, nor any grass groweth therein. Why? The salt, brothers and sisters. Read that again, please, brother. Deuteronomy 29 and 23. And that the whole land thereof is brimstone. Now, why are we going here? Because he said that once salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out. Now, we're showing you. What it means to be good for nothing. Continue. And salt and burning that is not sown, nor beareth, nor any grass groweth therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adamah and Zeboam, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and in his wrath. See that? This is what he's saying. If the salt lose its savor, what is it good for? <laughs> This salt did what, brothers and sisters? It made sure that nothing could be sown, nothing could grow. You see that? Because it's lost its savor. So once it's lost its savor, it's used for what? <laughs> now it, things can't even be used fruitfully. It's a sign of judgment now, brothers and sisters. See? So that same salt that was used as a flavor can now be used as a judgment. Because salt here was a judgment. The land of brimstone and fire and salt burning. Go to Jeremiah 33 and 23. Let's stick here in the Old Testament quickly. Jeremiah 33 and 23. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Consider thou not what his people have spoken, saying, the two families which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off. Thus they have despised my people, that they should be no more a nation before them. Look at this, brothers and sisters. Remember, the Bible said if you lose your salt, you should be cast underfoot. This is what being cast underfoot looks like. So it's clear that we lost our savor. And the nations who operated as if we were permanently cast off committed great sin. We want to put that out there. Brothers and sisters, read that one more time, brother. Verse Jeremiah, 24. Jeremiah 33 and 24. Consider thou not what his people have spoken, saying. What did they say? The two families which the Lord hath chosen. The southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. He hath even cast them off. Thus they have despised my people, that they should be no more nation before them. See that? They were salivating. Had an opportunity to take advantage of us, brothers and sisters. 
And guess what? Society as presently constructed has been assembled to restrict our rise. Because look, it says that they were monitoring us. These two families, what, brother? Consider thou not what his people have saying, have spoken, saying, the two families which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off. He hath what? He hath even cast them off. So they're monitoring us. They believe that God had cast us off. And therefore. Thus they have despised my people. Because we had no protection came the despising. Thus they have despised my people that they should be no more a nation before them. See that they didn't even they were going to refuse to recognize us as a nation. You understand that? Imagine if everybody in the world started calling the white man a black man. Imagine if the Koreans did that, the black man started doing that, the Africans started doing that, the Iran people did that, the Babylonians over in Iraq did that. What if every race in the world started referring to the white man as a black man? Do you see how that could affect you, brothers and sisters? How everyone else is in on this joke but you. They're, tell, they're all telling you you're somebody else. See this? So they got everybody involved to make sure that you never tell these people who they are. Okay? They don't need to know they're a nation because why? If you're a nation, that means you need an army. Why? Because every nation has an army to protect themselves. See? So you need to just think you're black. Okay? You don't need to think nothing about national... You know, patriotism. Because see, the white man and Satan know that too. It's called the spirit of patriotism. See, after 9-11, brothers and sisters, everybody came together because they felt like they were under attack. So white people, black people, Mexican-Americans, uh, korean Amer everybody came together because they felt like we were under attack. That's the spirit of patriotism brothers and sisters, and they know the power of patriotism. They know it. They know it. Because why? That's why these young men go join the military. The spirit of patriotism. They know how powerful it is. They know how powerful it is. Willing to die for nation. See? So society as presently constructed, as we said, it has been assembled to restrict our rise, brothers and sisters. And these particular texts uncover the hostile mentality of the nations. The author tells us that our lack of protection provoked their animosity against us. Let's prove that. Let's go to Ezekiel 35. Let's go to Ezekiel 35, brothers and sisters, and we're going to read the, let's read the 10th and the 11th verse. Ezekiel 35 and 10. What's that say, brother? Because thou hast said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess it, whereas the Lord was there. The Edomites believe that they could use our crisis to enlarge their own dominion. Edomites are who you would call Europeans today, brothers and sisters, okay? They always had a desire to confiscate our land. It says we will possess it, okay? We're going to possess this land and these people. Verse 11. 
Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will even do according to thine anger and according to thine envy, which thou hast used out of thy hatred look, against them. Look at this. Look at how they pontificated, brothers and sisters. They had anger against us. And I will make myself known among them when I have judged thee. Our obedience will garner reciprocation from the Most High to the heathen. I need you to note that even as the Most High judges, he's trying to heighten people's awareness of himself. Read that one more time, please, brother. Verse 11. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will even do according to thine anger. I will do according to thine anger. And according to thine envy. According to thine envy. So see, there was envy there. See, they envy us, brothers and sisters. Now notice it says jealous. It doesn't say jealous. Jealous means you are jealous of something that belongs to you. Envy means you want something that doesn't belong to you. See, continue. And according to thine envy, which thou hast used out of it, thy hatred against them. So we see anger, we see envy, and we see hatred. And I will make myself known among them when I have judged thee. He said, I will retaliate all the anger, envy, and hatred shown unto my people. They will be made to suffer the indignities they designed to heap upon Israel. It's clear they harbor envy for our elevated status in the eyes of the Most High. See, so our people thought it was because we were black. <laughs> this goes way deeper than your skin tone. Because there's other people with brown skin that don't get treated like us. So there's something else at play here. Because Africans don't get treated like us. The people in Iran don't get treated like us. The people in Iraq don't get treated like us. The people in India don't get treated like us. And a lot of them are darker than us or the same color. So there's something else going on. It has nothing to do with our skin tone. It's the blood beneath the skin tone. That is the issue. Let's go to the Apocrypha, brother. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 12. Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 12. What's that say, man? Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 12. Therefore, let us lie and wait for the righteous. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the mindset of our enemies. This is their mindset that the Bible is offering for us. Therefore, let us lie and wait for the righteous. Look at that. The text reveals that our enemies are very patient. They would wait for the righteous, our people. Because he is not for our turn. And he is clean contrary to our doings. He upbraided us with our offending the law. And objected to our infamy, the transgressions of our education. Now look at this, brothers and sisters. I need you to examine it clearly. Because it, it appears that the reason they're against us is strictly because of our relationship unto the Most High and the light that exposes their darkness. Let's read that again, brother, because it says, let us lie in right wait for the righteous. So that implies that we're enemies just because of the righteousness. Have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, my brother. 
Let's read that again. Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 12. Therefore, let us lie and wait for the righteous, because he is not for our turn. See? And he is clean contrary to our doing. See? He upbraideth us with our offending the law. See? And objects to our infamy, the transgressions of our education. See that? It's because we're clean contrary to them. See? So even when they have more money and have a better car, when somebody come in clean, ethically, morally, they can have the car and all that, they still feel beneath you. See? That's why you always come on top, brothers and sisters. Because no matter what they have, they feel beneath you. <laughs> because there's a certain cleanliness. So the Bible is telling you, they're going to look to destroy us strictly off that. Read verse 13, brother, because there's another reason that they're going to look to destroy us. Verse 13. He professeth to have the knowledge of God. And he calleth himself the child of the Lord. See, so in this case, we learn that knowledge can turn you into an enemy. See, he professed that he had the knowledge of who the true God is. He says, in fact, he is a child of the true God, right? So knowledge can be a dangerous thing as we have discovered here, right? Continue. Verse 14. He was made to reprove we were, our thoughts. We were made to correct them, brothers and sisters, right? We were made to judge them. Continue. He is grievous unto us even to behold. Look at that. For his life is not like other men's. His ways are of other fashions. His ways are what, brother? His ways are of another fashion. Look at that. Because of this, they would look to master the art of soliciting sin. Brothers and sisters. It says he's grievous. They don't even want to look at us. It says for his life, it says for his life is not like other men's. His ways are of another fashion. They don't understand us, brothers and sisters. That's why they went into the Bible. They didn't go into the Bible and have it translated into NIV and all this stuff because they believed in it. They needed to know, they needed to understand our ways. And the only way they could do that was to understand the Bible. Because why? If I need to get these people in trouble with their God, it's just like getting them in trouble with their parents. We need to find out what their parents told them not to do and then influence them to do it. See? So the only way they could find out what to influence us to do is to go into our record to find out what God said refrain from. See how devious and sinister that is? See? Read verse 16, brother. Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 16. This is why they have justified themselves in trying to demoralize and destroy us. We are esteemed of his as counterfeits. We've told them you're not the real people. He abstaineth from our ways as from filthiness. He pronounces the end of the just to be blessed. And maketh his boast that God is his father. See that? They really don't like that. <laughs> See, that's really what it is. See, the envy come because God have a favorite. But guess what? If God, if, if the, there was never an issue when we believe God's favorite were white people. From the Holocaust. See, it only became a problem when it was us. 
See, he maketh a boast that God is his father. Brothers and sisters, if you've ever done this amongst the Gentiles, especially the Edomites, especially the, the teachers, the pastors, the theologians, you can feel the indignation. They won't say it because they know it'll come across racist, but they're like, you ain't no, you're black. You ain't no, you ain't God's people. You're black. Okay. <laughs> That's what they're thinking in their head. That's what they're thinking in their head. Let's go to Proverbs, brother, 3 and 31. I'm going to put this out there. Proverbs 3 and 31. What's that saying, brother? Proverbs 3 and 31. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. The Bible illustrates the, the bitterness we feel when heathens prosper. Brothers and sisters, what did it say? Envy thou not the oppressor. There's that word envy again. He's telling you that what you're envious of is not yours. Okay, so when you're looking at pagan holidays, that's not yours. Okay, didn't use jealousy. Jealousy means you're in fear of losing something that is yours. Envy is you, you envy something else, brothers and sisters, right? You want something that doesn't belong to you. So as we see here, Holy Scripture is full of warnings against this fatal form of envy. Brothers and sisters, what we discovered is behind each temptation to envy is a lie. Let's read that again, brother. Proverbs 3 and 31. Envy thou not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Look at that. Envy leads to emulation. See? See, and this is what happens. The same thing that we hate about the white man, which is the racism, we come into being an Israelite and do the same thing. We become black nationalists. We do the very thing that we said the white man was doing. See? It's easy to be envious when we look at what is seen instead of what's unseen. Brothers and sisters, what we can see is no indicator of reality. But how easily we believe that it is. So that's what makes the temptation so great and why scripture repeatedly warns against it, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Job 6 and 6, brother, please. Let's go to the book of Job, the sixth chapter, the sixth verse. He's telling you, don't start emulating them. Job 6 and 6. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? The presence of salt makes the difference, brothers and sisters, causing us to enjoy food we would otherwise refuse to eat. I don't eat eggs, brothers and sisters, or boiled eggs, but some people do. And the people that do never eat it without salt, unless you're probably a European. But most people don't eat eggs without salt, brothers and sisters. So according to the text, it's necessary to add salt in order to make the dish palatable. See, that's what salt is. We're supposed to make the world palatable for the Most High until his return. See? That's what salt is. Taking something that would be otherwise unpalatable and make it acceptable. Just acceptable enough. See? Not only with that, not only with salt comes flavor, but it comes savor, brothers and sisters. It comes preservation. See? It was about preservation. Salt is used for preservation, brothers and sisters. 
Let's go to 2 Kings 2 and 19, brother. Because he's showing you that don't emulate them. Because if you emulate them, I'm going to have to put you under their feet. Because I said, what purpose does salt have but to be trodden under the foot of men? If it loses its savor. See, and we skip that entire part of that text. We usually skip that entire part of that text, brothers and sisters. We go to the salt of the earth part, but not to what the repercussions of losing the, the flavor is. Let's read 2 Kings 2 and 19 through 22. 2 Kings 2 and 19. And the men of the city said unto Elijah, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not. In the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. This passage recounts the second miracle Elisha performed after receiving the mantle of the prophet Elijah. Brothers and sisters, he healed the waters with salt. You see that? See, now you're understanding these analogies, these metaphors, brothers and sisters. Salt is healing property. It cleanses also, brothers and sisters. See? When you put salt on a wound, it's actually cleansing it, brothers and sisters. <laughs> See, it's actually disinfecting it, brothers and sisters. See, it's actually healing it, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Look at that, brothers and sisters. Remember, we just saw that Elisha healed the land and the water with salt. So here he's telling you, listen, if you get your saltiness back, then listen, you don't have to be trodden underfoot anymore. See, it's no use of coming for prayer, brothers and sisters, if we have pride in our hearts. I need you to read this again, okay? Because the first step is what? Verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. The first step is to humble yourself. And then what? And pray. See that? So it's no use of praying if you have pride in your heart he said first thing you have to do before you pray is get rid of the pride israel see that's the first step so notice the order given in this verse first i will hear from heaven second i will hear i will forgive their sin third i will hear their land see so the land cannot be healed before our sins are forgiven let's read that again second chronicles 7 and 14 if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. He will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. He will forgive our sins and will heal their land. The land, brothers and sisters, the last thing that God will do for his people is to heal their land. The Bible tells you when Christ comes back, he places us back in that land. See, the Most High says that it is written within the power of his people to do things which will cause him to heal the land. See that? We can get our land back, brothers and sisters. This is how. See? This is how. Go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha. Not Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiasticus. Chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to this. Ecclesiasticus 3 and 18. The greater thou art, <clears throat> the greater thou art, the more humble thyself, and thou shalt find favor before the Lord. So he's telling you right away that, brothers and sisters, the more you learn, the greater you become, you, the more humble you're supposed to become, brothers and sisters. So that's, as we learn more, brothers and sisters, I'm actually looking at the humility. You're being measured off your humility, not how much... Uh, you know, literature, you know, not how many verses, you know, brothers and sisters, your greatness is determined by your humility. See, that's how it's determined, brothers and sisters. Continue. Verse 19, many are in high place and of renown, but mysteries are revealed unto the meek. To who? Unto the meek. Brothers and sisters, the most high reveals his mysteries to the humble. Not the learned and or the scholar. See? The mysteries of the Most High cannot be understood outside of the framework of meekness. Continue, brother, please. Verse 20. For the power of the Lord is great, and he is honored of the, of the lowly. Of who? Of the lowly. Of who, brother? The lowly. Look at this. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, knowledge alone does not reveal the mysteries, but humility and meekness does, brothers and sisters. And guess what? According to the Bible, meekness is not weakness. It's actually strength that's under control. See that? Continue. Verse 21. Seek not out the things that are too hard for thee. Neither search the things that are above thy strength. Look at that, brothers and sisters. So the higher you go in leadership, the more service is required, brothers and sisters. And guess what? Humility is a major factor that qualifies us for his favor. How do we know? Read 18, brother, please. Ecclesiasticus 3 and 18. The greater thou art, the more humble thyself. See, so the greater you become, the more you walk. So, brothers and sisters, I, I say, and I say it often, you did not get the truth to become a bull in a china shop. Okay? You didn't become a, you didn't become an Israelite to learn the truth to become a terrorist in your own home, amongst your own family. Okay? Your humility is what's going to bring them in. And that's, your greatness is determined by that. The greatest people are the most humble, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that is, the 15th chapter, the 9th verse. Let's see what the Apostle Paul 
had to say in this particular passage. Listen to this and listen to it closely, please, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 15 and 9. For I am the least of the apostles. This is Paul saying what? For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. See, so Paul described himself as unworthy because he at one time actively opposed Christ and those who followed him. Now, read that one more time, brother, please. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. Why is he saying this, brothers and sisters? That am not meet to be called an apostle. Why is he saying this, brothers and sisters? Because I have persecuted the church of God. See, that's why he's saying this. So mercy was required in this case because such behavior should have disqualified him from being an apostle. See, but God has mercy. That's the goodness of God. Because there's some things that should have disqualified you from being an apostle. See? So the men that Christ chose, these were not soft men. These were murderers. These were cussers. These were killers. These were thugs. These were criminals. These were not the smartest men. These men were uneducated. These are who Christ chose because he knew they would have the intestinal fortitude. They would have the courage of their convictions to be able to stand on truth when he was gone. See? We just wanted to show you that what Paul is showing, what? Humility here. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. Yet, most people would say he's the greatest. He's showing you that what? The greater you become, the more humble you become. Let us show you. Let's show you his growth. Go to the Ephesians, brother. Because Corinthians was written first. Let's go here. Let's go to Ephesians 3 and 8, brother. Let's follow Paul here. Let's follow his growth here, brothers and sisters. Initially, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. An apostle is someone who does what? They start churches, okay? They build churches. That's an apostle. They go places, they build church, and then they move on. Ephesians 3 and 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God, who created all things by Christ. Brothers and sisters, the first thing we discover in verse 8 from the Apostle Paul is his acknowledgement of his weakness. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 8, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. Brothers and sisters, in order to help others recognize their unworthiness, Paul had to first recognize his own. Now, I need you to notice that first he said what? He said, I'm the least of all apostles. Now he's saying, I'm the least of all the saints. So he went from, I'm the least of the highest, <laughs> the upper echelon of apostles, to now I'm just the least of all the believers. I'm just the least of Israelites. You see, there's a change See that? He said, I'm the least of believers now. 
I went from the least of apostles to the least of believers. Why? Because his greatness is growing. He's growing here. He went from Corinthians and now he's in Ephesians and now he's going where? Now he's going to Timothy. This is progression. These are different stages in his life. We're showing you the humility that came with the growth. Because why? If the humility doesn't come with the growth, then something's off. Something's off. First Timothy 1 and 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He expressed his humility by admitting his unworthiness. Brothers and sisters, we wanted you to examine it because Paul's humility was expressed by his admission of his unworthiness. Read that again, brother, please. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Look at that. Before helping others see themselves clearly, we must first see ourselves clearly. See, and this is what he was saying. He's saying, listen, I'm now he went from I'm the worst of all the apostles to I'm the worst of all believers to I'm just the worst of all sinners. You see this, brothers and sisters? He said, I'm the chief sinner. I've killed people. Who followed Christ. See that brothers and sisters. This was his growth. This is over a span of. Decades. Brothers and sisters. He starts off. He's, he's still got some pride there. I'm, I'm the least of all apostles. Then he goes years later. I'm the least of all saints. And then he goes years later. I'm the least of all sinners. See. So the greater he became. The more humble he became. Brothers and sisters. Now you had to learn humility from who? Christ though. Because the Bible tells you. He who's heavy laden. Right? Take my yoke. Learn humility from me. Because why? What the world says humility is. Is not what the Bible says humility is. Humility isn't letting people walk all over you. Humility isn't allowing people to deal with sin in your presence. Okay? That's not humility. Humility isn't being overly concerned with how people can, you know, view your reputation. That's something else. You're concerned with something else. You're not concerned with Christ. You're concerned with something else. If that is your mentality. Let's go to Ezekiel 36 and 31, brothers and sisters. We're going to the Old Testament. We're almost done here. We're going to Ezekiel 36 and 31. What's that saying, brother? We're going to read 31 through 33. Ezekiel 36 and 31. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall, and shall loathe yourselves in your sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Brothers and sisters, the mark of a true believer is they loathe themselves. They hate themselves, brothers and sisters, for the sins that they've done. They're so ashamed. Read. Verse 32. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. Look at this. He said, I'm not doing this for your sake, Israel. Being known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways. Speak, a little, speak a little louder, brother. 
Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, In the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be shall be builded. So, brothers and sisters, we're showing you the mark of a man who fears God. The first thing he said must be done before... Let's read it again. Read 31, brother, because 31 happens first. Ezekiel 36 and 31. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good. See that? Jump to verse 33. Verse 33. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities. Did you notice that you had to be cleansed before you were able to dwell in the cities? See that? So he said, there has to be a cleansing amongst my people before I allow some to go back into that promised land. Because only the clean are going. Now remember, leprosy is a picture of sin. The lepers had to live on the outskirts. They couldn't even live in the city. See, so only once you were cleansed, could you go back into the city. So God is telling you, I have to cleanse you from your leprosy first before I let you back in to eat. See, go to Jeremiah three and three, brother, please. Jeremiah, the third chapter, the third verse. <laughs> Jeremiah three and three. Therefore, the showers have been withholding. And there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. According to the prophet, the lack of shame results in a lack of rain. Rain represents what? Being fruitful. So without shame, you cannot be fruitful, according to the text. Let's read that again, brother. Verse 3. Therefore the showers have been withholding, and there hath been no latter rain. The showers are withholding. Why? And there hath been no latter rain. Why? Thou hast a whore's forehead. See, there's no rain because you have a whore's forehead, which means? Thou refuses to be ashamed. See? So we cannot have shame if we're trying to conceal the truth. You're trying to hide it so you won't be ashamed. See? So the concealment is the evidence that we have not been broken yet, brothers and sisters. See? There is a freedom we receive in being broken. If you're truly broken, you don't care who sees. And I'm speaking to my people right now. Okay? Because there's this, there's this thing in the black community where we can't speak publicly about evil that other black people do. We're supposed to hide that. We're supposed to conceal that. We can speak about the white man. But when we're talking about us killing each other or selling dope up in the neighborhoods or the hip hop music, then I'm a coon and I'm, I'm Uncle Tom and, and I'm, you know, uh, all these other people. Right. We refuse to be ashamed. The Bible is telling you clearly, brothers and sisters, we need to be broken because that there will be no rain. Until you know some level of shame, Israel. Let's go to Acts 6, brother. Acts 6 and 1. We're going to have Brother Christopher read 1 through 6. Acts 6 and 1. 
And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Now, brothers and sisters, according to the text, some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of resources, right? It said the widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. Read. Verse 2, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Leadership knows how to distinguish the primary from the secretary, secondary or the, the ancillary, brothers and sisters. We need to know any leadership must know primary and ancillary. So this is prioritizing. They're saying, listen. It's not wise for us to stop teaching the word of God to give to, to wait tables. We need some other brothers that's going to do that. Okay, read. Verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. Of what? Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. See, that leadership is about developing leaders who develop other leaders you see that so the first thing they did was what what did they ask brother wherefore brethren look ye out among you seven men of honest report see that honest report that means reputation already intact not you prove to me well let me prove to you i can do this no brother your life is proof of if you can do this or not See, seven men of honest report. What was that honest report, brother? Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Brothers and sisters, I really need you to, to examine this. Because leaders must seek to understand and value the perspectives they do not share. Okay? Leaders must seek to, you know, we're, we're reading the, the role of empathy in good leadership here. Read. Verse 4. What's that saying, brother? But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. Now, brothers and sisters, I really need you to examine verse 3, okay? Because there's some qualifications here. Acts 6 and 3. Wherefore, brethren, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Brothers and sisters, notice that they had to have the Holy Spirit to even serve bread. You see that? So life matters if you want to have hand in the church. They had to have an honest report and full of the Holy Ghost with wisdom, which means study. To even serve bread. So let's make it clear. There's qualifications brothers and sisters. And what are we seeing? We're seeing that leadership. It's a function. It's not an office or a title. Brothers and sisters. Leadership or leading is about serving and empowering others. Right? So anybody can complain about problems. But leaders take action to solve problems. They made executive decisions. They heard these sisters out. And then they set up brothers in whom they could trust. So notice they had to have the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters. I want to magnify that point. To have any role in the church. See. 
Go to Acts 1 and 8, brother. Just a few chapters over. Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power. Because why are we here? Because ye are the salt of the earth, brothers and sisters. Ye are the salt of the earth. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. Look at that. So he's telling you, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. And then what? And ye shall be witnesses unto me. See that? You don't become a witness until you have the Holy Ghost. You see that, brothers and sisters? He said, ye shall be witnesses. See that, brothers and sisters? You shall be a witness. That's crystal clear. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. So look at this. He's saying the first thing you'll do is once you have the Holy Ghost is be a witness amongst your own people. See that? He's saying Jerusalem, Judea. So the first thing you have to do is go to your people. Then what? And in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. See that? So you start with your own people, Jerusalem, Judea, and you go out to the othermost parts of the earth. So it's crystal clear, brothers and sisters, you had to have the Holy Spirit to be a witness. See? Go to Galatians 5, brother. We're almost done here. Galatians 5 and 16. The title of today's lesson is The Salt of the Earth. Galatians 5 and 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Read that one more time. This I say then, walk in the spirit. Do what? Walk in the spirit. Brothers and sisters, walking indicates progression or advancing. See that? Walk in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, if we stop progressing, we're going to be overcome once again. So it's clear that continual growth is the only way to overcome strong appetites, brothers and sisters. It's telling you to walk in the spirit is the only way not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there's a difference between walking in the spirit and having the spirit walking presumes activity. Okay, brothers and sisters, read that one more time. Galatians 5 and 16. So it says walking in the spirit, not having the spirit. I want to put that out there. So having the spirit is not enough to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Read that again, brother, please. This I say then, walk in the spirit. Not have the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Advance in the spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, so there's a difference between walking in the spirit and having the spirit. Walking presumes activity, brothers and sisters. And here we learn that walking in the flesh and the spirit are mutually exclusive. We cannot do both at the same time. See, you cannot walk in the spirit and fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what he's saying. Let's go to Romans 6 and 22, brothers and sisters, as we're wrapping it up here. Romans 6 and 22. What's that say, brother? But now, being made free from sin 
and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Here we read the renunciation of sin and the pursuit of holiness as the reasonable service subsequent to redemption. Brothers and sisters, notice ultimately we don't free ourselves. We have been freed. Read that again, brother. Verse 22. But now being made free from sin. See, being made free. So the text implies that we don't make ourselves slaves of God. We have been enslaved to God. Now being made free from sin. What? And become servants to God. Look at that. According to the text, redemption always comes with subsequent requirements. It said, now that you've been made free from sin, you become a servant of God. Right? Read. Ye have your fruit unto holiness, in the end everlasting life. He's saying, in your fruit will be holiness, and in the end everlasting life. So according to the text, brothers and sisters, we're seeing what? Read 23, brother. Romans 6 and 23. For the wages of sin is death. The wages refers to a payment that a person receives for the work or for some work, brothers and sisters. But the gift of God is eternal life. So it's clear that the work of sinfulness earns a paycheck of death. Brothers and sisters. That's crystal clear. So we're talking to Israelites here. We are the salt of the earth, brothers and sisters. If we lose our saltiness, we will be trampled underfoot. We'll stay subjugated, brothers and sisters. The only way to be relinquished is to stand apart. How do we do that? Let's go to Deuteronomy 4 and 5. Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, the fifth through the ninth verse. This is how, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 4 and 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me. That ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess. Wherever you go, you follow these laws, Israel. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. In the sight of who? In the sight of the nations. One purpose of the law was to make Israel morally and spiritually unique among all the other nations, brothers and sisters. The nations would observe a clear distinction and consider it to be indicative of the true God. We'll prove that. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. See, continue. For what nation is there so great? Who have God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for. See that, brothers and sisters? Continue. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all the <clears throat> excuse me? That hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law. Read that one more time, verse eight. Listen to this, Israel. Verse eight. And what nation is there so great? What nationality is so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I said before you this day? Read. 
Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons, and thy sons' sons. Teach them to who? But teach them thy sons. Why is he saying teach them to the boys? Because the boys are the leaders. The boys will become men. The princes become kings. So faithfulness to the Most High would allow the nations to see the Most High's intimacy with the children of Israel. Brothers and sisters. Israel was set a godly example by which we would teach the nations the value of the Most High's way of life, brothers and sisters. It's our conduct that will reveal to the heathen the truth of our identity. It's not us coming to them and saying, please believe that we're the Israelites. No, we'll prove that we're the Israelites. We'll prove it. Let's end it at Psalms 135 and 4. Let's end it here, brothers and sisters. Psalms 135 and 4. Psalms 135 and 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Look at that, brothers and sisters. The Most High hath chosen Jacob unto himself for his peculiar treasure. Therefore, Jacob is bound to praise him. Brothers and sisters, can you read that one more time? Verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Look at that. He chose Jacob, and once Jacob is chosen, he's changed into Israel. You see? So we're reading a people appropriated to him that he has a delight in. Brothers and sisters, God's choice exalts. But here the name is changed from Jacob the supplanter to Israel the prince. So, brothers and sisters, it's time to strap up your boots. We wanted to utilize the Bible to give clarity to what you're seeing in these days, brothers and sisters. We wanted to utilize the Bible to show what the political game is trying to hide, brothers and sisters. We wanted to utilize the Bible to show our way out, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson was... The salt of the earth. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala. Kwam Yasharala. Sin no more. Sin no more.